never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to Neff Inspiration, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another fantastic day for an interview. And unfortunately, my guest, Shannon Petrovich, um, is a, a specialist in helping others to deal with a very common problem that we nowadays see. That probably has been around, I mean, in generations before us, but I don't know if it is if it is our societal norms that have changed or whatever is happening, but the, the issue of toxic relationships and relationships with narcissistic people um, seems to be more prevalent. Or maybe it's just that we're more talking about them. One way or the other, uh, it affects many people out there. And as such, I have got a privilege and honor to have Shannon on my show today. Welcome, Shannon. Uh, let's let's deep dive into the topic. Thanks, Stephen. I'm glad to be here. Mm. You probably didn't one day at school uh, with your school counselor say, you know what, I think I want to become a woman who helps others to deal with toxic relationships. Um, normally, that's not really high on the list of, of people <laughs> when they're young. Who, who did you want to be when you were young? I really thought I would end up as a veterinarian or a doctor. Oh, cool. And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny that you ask it that way, too, because one of my first employers was at an adolescent rehab center. And he said, all right, what happened to you? Because this isn't normal. <laughs> this isn't something somebody wants to do. <laughs> and I said, oh, wow. And never thought of it that way before. But you're absolutely right. You know, I struggled with a really toxic relationship at the end of high school and got into another one in my late 20s and just you know in graduate school actually in social work graduate school is where I kind of started to really figure it out mm. figured out addictions and how prevalent those were in my life and also how I was um basically drawn to and didn't have good boundaries around toxic mm. people so um, yeah, I dove into it. And and then once I did figure it out, I thought I need to share this with other people because <laughs> I had to struggle so hard to figure it all out myself. And that's not a good way to go. <laughs> so I'm talking today to a real shit magnet. Um, <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. I, I like right. that. I like that. An <laughs> yeah, overachiever. That. An overachiever, so to speak. <laughs> so, but if you were to think back, um, you were saying that you struggled with addictions. I would you care to share a little bit what what things helped you with the pain at that time? So yeah, I mean, right off the bat in adolescence, um, you know, everybody started to drink and use drugs, but mm. I was the one that was under the table, <laughs> and then it was just all or nothing. And um, uh -huh. then when I was in grad school, I went, oh, this thing called addictions, got it. And it's genetic and it's a predisposition. And I just stopped. And it was kind of funny because I had a job working in an adolescent rehab. And part of my job was going to AA meetings every single night. And so I kind of got it sideways, <laughs> but it worked out really well. So okay. uh, it's been no, 35 years of sobriety and it's, oh, great. Wow. it's a good life. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh wow! But <laughs> if you fun. were to if you were to think back, what uh-huh. did the alcohol give you? Oh, it was a numbing agent for sure. Um, yeah, it just made everything numb and and sort of stupidly blissful. But you know, it kind of makes your problems worse at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. it's a trick. And it doesn't work long term, obviously. In my book, uh, um, The Steps of Sobriety, I call it hangxiety. You, yeah. The anxiety does still hang around. Uh, and now you have got a hangover on top of it. Um, so, no, no, you're quite right. You're so right. But then again, at that moment in time, you don't see it. and But yeah. because the, the, the pain otherwise uh, is would be too hard. So... With hindsight, without going into too much gory details, I mean, what was the reason that you escaped your reality? I think it was really a genetic predisposition as much as anything else. And Mm. I would say I was more at risk and in danger of hooking up with other alcoholics Mm. and addicts. And that was Mm. uh, as much an issue as my own drinking um but Mm. it was just something i had to step back from all of it and say okay Mm. why am i um burying myself in this stuff that doesn't serve me and once i backed off and Mm. and stopped it was really amazingly wonderful and freeing you know a lot of people really struggle and my heart goes out to them and i have worked with people thousands of people over the years who really struggle but for me it was like putting it down and it was a complete freedom and relief um, I didn't want it in my life anymore. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, I'm so pleased for you that that was part of your life. So uh, but let me play devil's advocate. Here you are, a woman who is actually constantly living in the, uh, in a uh, in a surrounding where you learn how to um, how to how your, your brain works, how the core beliefs impact you, all that. And here you are, sucker for punishment, going for the boy, uh, the bad boys. Um, oh. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> well, not anymore. I have to clarify. <laughs> I've been in recovery from that for a long, right. long time, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've okay. got a wonderful, wonderful marriage, and um, I couldn't be happier. So, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't be teaching this stuff if I was still buried in it. And um, I have recovered with the good. help of good therapists and also good. self-help groups. And um, and so I am not the blind leading the blind, hopefully. <laughs> Which is cool. Cool, cool, cool. But having said that, uh, if you look out there, you see so many examples where women and men, uh, for that matter, and non-binary, I think we are talking about relationships, and it does not right. matter how you define your sexuality or your gender. Uh, unfortunately, uh, toxic relationships are so common out there and they might even be more common uh if you are uh, not a non-binary if you're a a non-binary person um uh, why do we get attracted to people which with hindsight we have to say bloody hell i shouldn't have touched that that uh, (laughs) person with a barge pole but why do we get attracted to that it resonates unfortunately. And so you have to look at how you um, navigated 
your childhood and your early childhood relationships. Mm. And that is absolutely personal to each person. Mm. But somehow, oftentimes we are resonating with a role that we played in childhood. If we were the mediator, the peacekeeper, the placator, the trying to get everybody to get along, trying to help everybody calm down, then that resonates for you. And you sort of have this different way about you that you are willing to take on those types of relationships in adulthood. It's not a good thing. And we have to recognize it for what it is. We're also, you know, if we are the person who brought home every stray and every um, every sad story <laughs> just broke our heart. And so we wanted to get in and rescue everyone. And, you know, then we're going to gravitate towards those most broken of people, which mm. is a lovely thing to do in your work or volunteer work, but not a good thing to do as mm. a partner choice. <laughs> we need to choose partners, not projects. And so oftentimes Ooh. we... <laughs> nice. <laughs> So we have to look at that. But the other aspect is that they're out there choosing us. So somebody who's extremely self-centered and narcissistic is going to choose somebody who's empathic and giving because that's a perfect choice for them. Hmm. And when we don't have good boundaries, then not only are we resonating, but we are also having poor boundaries around people who keep coming at us and hmm. keep love bombing us. And, you know, we cave in too easily. So it isn't just us that are going seeking at all. In fact, a lot of times women and men get hit upside the head by somebody who comes at them, comes in hot, basically, and uh, they don't set good boundaries or the red flags don't go off. They, the mm. warning sign, sirens don't go off. Um, so it's it's sort mm. of a combination. Mm. Well, maybe we should actually nail down what we understand as narcissist, because it, it seems to be a word that is now thrown around with absolutely everyone, everyone who has got a little bit of ambition and is trying to, to better himself. Oh, you're a narcissist. Um, mm -hmm. So what is a narcissist? How can you recognize a narcissist? That's a really good question, because it has become really weaponized. And also, mm. narcissistic people love to throw that back at their victims in order to basically throw them up against the ropes and get them to stop setting boundaries. So when a when an, a very empathic victim starts to set boundaries, starts to stand up for themselves, the narcissist says, oh, you're being so selfish, you're being such a narcissist. And that makes the empathic person <laughs> kind of sit back and go, oh my gosh, that's the last thing I want to be. So okay. they really pull back. So we, we we do need to look out for that. And also I've seen people who kind of call somebody a narcissist and write them off instead of saying, hey, you know, let's talk about this. I felt hurt when you said this or upset when you did that, whatever. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we want to be careful about it. But basically it's somebody who is extremely self-absorbed to the point of delusion. They are extremely... Um, over-involved with themselves, their own thoughts, feelings, wants, and needs matter in every relationship, and yours don't. Nobody else's do. Um, and then on top of that, they lack empathy. So they don't even notice or recognize or hear other people's emotions, and that's really critical. Okay. Well, 
I think then probably 70% of people of male who are going into a gym must be narcissists because they are very much looking into the mirror, looking at themselves. So are the girls in the gym. So I think that's one place where we found them. No, it's not as easy, is it? Um, no. And as uh, you know, our culture is becoming more narcissistic. And so you have to distinguish too between narcissistic traits and true-blown narcissistic personality disorder. Mm. And the disorder mm. is defined by the these traits are so extreme and so all-encompassing that it's impacting their relationships, their jobs, their everything. Mm. So you find people typically who are explosive, and they're not only explosive at home, but they're explosive at work. Um, they tantrum anytime they don't get their way or anytime they don't get all that they want they mm. implode you know you see other people are implosive the the people who sort of like fall apart every time they aren't the center of attention or you know they're demanding 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 all the time and they don't see that that's just unrealistic and unfair in a relationship so they're you know you've got to the we all have some narcissistic traits but the real personality disorder is on the other extreme Mm. that's really good that you say that because i mean we all live as multiple personalities so to speak <laughs> we all have got masks and you can be an extremely uh you can be one person at work and then you come home and uh, the mask comes off and you become a very different person can a true narcissist uh mask himself in one situation versus not in the other situation absolutely you know and and another trait of the narcissist that's really important is how they manage others so mm -hmm. everything that they do is to manage and manipulate so you feel kind of slimed <laughs> or mm -hmm. when you you're kind of recovering from your resonance and your you know, gull gullibility, you will feel like, oh man, this person is manipulating me. Mm. They're not just like sharing and uh, expressing themselves. They're literally hooking you. They're love bombing you. You're, yeah. they're devaluing you. They're, they're always manipulating. They're gaslighting you. Mm. And so you feel like you're getting managed all the time. Mm. It's a creepy feeling. It's horrible. Mm. But that's a big part of the narcissist. And so that's why I say, you know, people can be kind of arrogant or people can be selfish, but it's different when everything you do is sort of transactional and everything is manipulative. Mm. You have been using this word gaslighting. And again, that is something uh, that is used. Probably most people have no clue what it actually really means. Um, do you want to go back in history to the black and white films? <laughs> what is gaslighting? Yeah. And so this shows that this kind of thing has been around forever. We just didn't call it narcissism, right? Touché. So back in, <laughs> back in the 40s, I believe, is when the movie came out. And it was it was called Gaslight. And it was about this couple and this man was doing some really evil things in the attic. And he was using the gaslights in the attic. And so the gaslights in the house would dim and then come back on and dim and come back on. And so the mm. woman kept asking her husband, what's going on? Mm. I don't understand why this is happening. And he mm. kept saying, what are you talking about? That's not mm. happening at all. Mm. So gaslighting is when someone 
literally tells you that your reality is not reality. Mm-hmm. And so, and I mean, it can be really, really specific. Like mm-hmm. I didn't just say that, well, you know, if you had an ability to re, you know, play it back, you would see that they did just say that, but they'll deny it and they will argue you to the death that the sky is not blue. And what happened did not just happen. I didn't hurt you. I didn't say anything terrible. Mm. I didn't just rage at you. So it just makes you feel crazy on top of feeling abused and destroyed emotionally. Absolutely. And unfortunately, these kind of things, they can, um, they can, of course, be a, a, a trait of a narcissist, but it's also a common trait of someone who is an addict. Uh, an mm-hmm. addict will mix the vodka into other drinks and say, no, no, honey, you're not smelling that on me. That's ginger beer. Um, that's, that's mm-hmm. you know, um, that kind of manipulation, unfortunately, is not only reserved to narcissists. Um, right. So, and again, it makes it a little bit more challenging. It would be so nice if you can just put everything in little nice drawers and <laughs> would, would, would make so much easier, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be really nice. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and of course, there's... We also have to understand um, that that we live in different uh, different states of of being. So there's the kind of serene, you natural. Then there's the state of stress, and then there's the state of distress. And I think that's quite important to realize that some of these traits might come out far more pronounced when a person is being triggered themselves and is finding themselves into a different different state. So. Yeah, life is not easy. No two ways around that. But when you actually look at at the the issue of toxic relationships, uh, have you got a handle on what what kind of prevalence is there in the United States, for example, of uh, people being in not healthy relationships? Yeah, it's seems almost universal and almost everyone it feels awful to say that but the you know I started my YouTube channel about five years ago and there are many other much more well-known YouTubers on narcissism uh, who are doing things on narcissism and the millions and millions of followers and the millions and millions of views are just astounding Um, and it's across the world so it it's a terrible thing, but we really are inundated. People are not caring towards each other and they um, treat each other horribly and then believe that, you know, just moving on is fine and Mm. that you don't have to apologize and you don't have to take Mm. responsibility or Mm. accountability and don't have to change, just move on. Mm. Um, So, and people, I think these days bounce from relationship to relationship. They don't make the effort to work on it. So it just seems like people, a narcissist will typically kind of wear somebody out and emotionally bankrupt them and then move on and discard them. And then that person is left as wreckage. So it's it's a terrible problem and it's absolutely prevalent. Wow. Strong words there, Shannon. Strong words. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Strong <laughs> words. Um, and I, I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, what's the, the chance of a marriage nowadays lasting? Um, and I'm not just meaning celebrities, which are, I don't know, changing their husbands and, and wives, you know, 
more like their stage dresses. Um, I think the the reality is, I mean, it's it's way beyond fifty percent divorce rate. I think nowadays, um, okay. and I think the sheer fact that the amount of of physical abuse, domestic violence, sexual abuse that that is prevalent out there behind closed doors is staggering. Um, so whilst it might sound, oh, come on, what, she, what is she talking about? I think, Shannon, you're right, um, that there is a huge, there is a huge problem in the society. Now, you could argue, this is just United States, the Americans there, anyhow, with, with their, with their focus on the American dream, self-made, I go out there, walk over corpses to get to the money. Hey, that's you bloody Americans, isn't it? In a nutshell. <laughs> no nope. yeah that's us <laughs> <laughs> that's totally us <laughs> well it is you <laughs> i guess the, the question is um whilst i'm derogatory uh and and you know this the american dream that is something has been forever been aspired to of course that has also been transplanted into other societies is there a difference in societies is the incidence of narcissism the same in the united states as it is in india or uh, let's say pakistan or let's say in a more other indigenous groups uh, where studies have been done to see where if narcissistic uh, personality disorder uh, is the same prevalence there as it is uh, in, in let's say, in the American society. I don't know scientifically. Um, I haven't read the studies, but I do feel that there are people from all over the world who are um, reaching out for help for mm. about toxic relationships and narcissistic mm. relationships. I think in some societies, it's worse for women um, who have very rigid roles that they have to mm. adhere to. Um, in other societies, I think it's harder, certainly for anyone who's non-conforming. Um, and that I think makes it, there's more abuse and there, it's more hidden. Um, but I think it's universal. People are selfish. <laughs> and, you know, at the same time that the American dream makes us more selfish and more self-absorbed, we also have a lot of wonderful cultural um, aspirations that make us kind and caring and empathic. And so we each have to um, look at our own qualities and and own our own, um, our own stuff. And and be willing to look at our values and live our values more accurately. Very nice. For that, of course, you have to stop for a moment in your rat race, get out of the hamster wheel and actually smell the roses and actually uh, take some time out to evaluate what is going on in your life. And that is not a common thing that people do. Um, do you, f <laughs> I know already the answer to my question here, but um, what do you think has happened when people were forced to stop the rat race? In other words, when COVID hit and suddenly people were staying at home, um, how has that played out in your eyes with your experience and the spotlight on narcissists? It was kind of a mixed bag. I think there was a lot of increase in domestic violence and suicide rate in exactly. um, a lot of depression and anxiety because people were trapped in indoors. And at the same time, I believe that other people sort of had to stop 
like you said, the rat race and reassess. And there was a lot of growth for some people. So mm. I think it could go either, it could have gone either direction for different individuals, but I think the added stress and the added isolation was generally really awful for most people. Mm. But there were also people who lived in, um, you know, rat race cities who said, hey, I can work from home from the mountains. Mm. So mm. I'm going to move to the mountains and I'm going to go mountain biking every day and I'm going mm. to live my life differently. So I think it was divided between the people who were more financially stressed by it and less financially stressed by it. Mm. 100% agreed. Um, does stress, how does stress typically affect a um, a narcissist. What happens if I put the pressure on that person? Are there generalizations that we can make, which maybe then also become a telltale sign to recognize a narcissist? I think so. And that's why I really strongly encourage people to take it really slow when you're getting into any relationship, <laughs> excuse me, whether it's a friendship or a real relationship. Because you can see when someone's under stress, what they're really all about. You know, someone can put on a good show if you're just on a date and that's two hours once a week or <laughs> even, you know, a lot of people are dating online and they are dating someone who's a thousand miles away mm. and they then go spend like a weekend there and go, okay, we're going to get married. Well, that's crazy. <laughs> Because you don't know how they act when they're stressed or upset or yeah. sad or disappointed or mad or whatever. So you really need to know what all those things trigger in that person. And you can't know that from a thousand miles away. So time is really important. And being in each other's space is really important to see how they react. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, you can you can put on a front and put on that mask for a certain amount of time, but you can't keep it up all the time. And mm. so when you see what happens when someone is stressed or sad or mm. frustrated or angry or any number of things, when you, when they're under the gun from some other outside source, what do they do? Mm. Do they implode? Do they explode? Do they... Um, do they pout? <laughs> do they pull away? Do they ghost you? Do they, you know, like mm. typically the narcissistic personality is really immature. And so from our perspective, mm. it looks like a really, mm. like a really big person having a five-year-old tantrum. <laughs> I was about to say a, to a toddler tantrum. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so it looks exactly the same. And if you step back and look at that and go, wow, that's super immature. And how would I handle that situation? I wouldn't handle it that way. <sighs> then you can start to see this person is not partner material. They are just way too immature. I'm going to have to emotionally carry them through life. And that's not a partnership. Having said that, looking at what you've just described to me, I immediately got a picture in my head of a particular person. Um, yet that person can also be incredibly empathic and can also be incredibly um, uh, there for everyone else but X, Y, and Z. Um, so is that a narcissist or is that, um, how do I figure that out? 
And therein lies the nobody will stay in their little box. Darn it! How <laughs> <laughs> about you come in there? I want you in there. Get in that box. Yeah, exactly. No. The... <laughs> okay. 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 Have... I give. I give in. <laughs> they have narcissistic qualities or traits, but they oh. also have you know empathic <laughs> traits, and so sure. you get to decide. And and truly, when when people are not in like if someone is in full-blown narcissistic personality mode, I just encourage people to bolt, mm. uh, run for your life. This is never going to get any better. It's going to mm. get uglier and uglier and it's, it's really destructive. Mm. But um, in the milder stuff, what we all need to do is learn how to identify our own thoughts, feelings, wants, and needs, nice. learn to express ourselves and learn to hold good boundaries. And when we do that, we find that those people in that mild to moderate might even respect our boundaries. We just haven't given them the opportunity because we're so busy placating because that's our history, right? <laughs> and so sometimes we've set up these relationships that are unhealthy, but it's not just that other person's fault. We're doing the dance together. Mm. So I can only do something about my part and then watch. So I encourage people in that early, I don't know what, is going on in this relationship phase i say okay let's you know speak your mind more stand up for yourself more say what you want to do more and see what happens take notes mm. and if they go oh wow you know i'm glad you showed up <laughs> then that's great but if they freak out and mm. they start being a jerk even more then you know what you have on your hands that's true Having said that, I mean, we are, we are talking about um, basically a, a wiring, that, uh, people that are hardwired a different way when we really talk about narcissistic personality disorder. Uh, that is not something that you can switch on, switch off. It, it is pretty much that is a problem that you have got deeply hardwired in there. Um, we should not confuse that with communication styles. Um, because communication styles, there are equally, there are the, the empath, the, the secretary with the, the fluffy toys and the, the, the little uh, the, the, the plants and the, the pictures of the grandkids. You will talk to her very differently than you talk to, uh, you know, next door, the professor who has got everything in tables lined out exact so just the way they communicate and they set their priorities um is very different um so equally so we so we have got not only the hardwired kind of baseline and then we have got different communication styles that you know get crazy there because when you were saying how do you deal with someone how do you set a boundary when you work with a promoter um so a certain communication style you might have to tell him you shut up now stay over there i'll do my job and in a moment you can come in uh, and then i'll talk to you and the guy goes probably okay <laughs> you know so <laughs> there are different different aspects at, at play and so it, it's actually quite a a complex um web of interactions but it all actually starts with you stepping back and actually uh, trying to analyze what the hell is going on rather than being like pavlov's dog and responding to the to every single trigger that is thrown at you my goodness. Right. I'm... And that's a big one that I teach people is to emotionally step back. 
Mm. It's extremely important that you recognize, okay, this person does what they do. They do that with everybody to some mm. degree or another. And yeah, it can be confusing when they act one way here and one way there, but that's mm. part of the deal too. But when you emotionally step back and watch and watch the games, I call it watching the circus go by, watch the games, watch the lies, watch the, <laughs> and then, and just kind of almost humorously go, wow. All right. Okay. I see that. All right. Now, you know, the tears didn't work. So now here comes the guilt trip and the guilt trip didn't work. Here comes a little rage. So it's, you know, the, the games that get cycled in and out and all that stuff. If you can emotionally step back and just watch, you're not getting hurt by it anymore. You're actually just witnessing it and not taking it in. That is part of your healing is to stop taking it all on. Beautifully said. Ah, oh, but who can do that? Because here we are typically with our own ah oh, adverse childhood experiences with everything that has been created so early on in our life, the core beliefs, the kind of little things here and there. We are not living lives in isolation. Um, there is there's the, the stuff that happened in our childhood. There's the intergenerational stuff that has been handed down in our genes uh, from generations before us. How the hell do you do that? Where do you start? Shannon, I mean, is that not a, a lost cause? Is that not all too, too, too chaotic? No, actually, that's one of the easier skills to teach people. And I, I, it's really mind blowing um, because it completely changes everything. As soon as a person stops taking all that on and stops being hurt by it and stops being manipulated and impacted by it and starts seeing the whole scene as a giant smorgasbord of manipulations or <laughs> um, i like that i like that, that have you ever been it. to Bra bass pro shop no no it is okay so at bass pro shop there's like literally thousands of hooks and lures on the walls and then thousands of them in bins for fishing right and so um in my master class coaching program I put this huge wall, a picture of this huge wall. I say, this is like a smorgasbord that is, exists in a narcissist's mind. And so if this lure works to hook you in, he uses uh, that one. Uh, and if that uh, one stops working, uh, she uses this uh, one. Uh, uh, and so they just can switch around and say, ooh, the bass are biting on this one. Ooh, that she's biting on this one right now, or he's biting uh, on that one. So it's all this stuff. And if you can just step back off of that wall and look at it all as one big smorgasbord, one big bass pro shop wall, then it. it changes everything. Oh, I love it. Because of course, the, 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 the need for the narcissist needs to be met. And if he is not successful in one way, he will choose another trick. He will choose another way. Um, so what are the needs? If you actually were to analyze it from a narcissistic point of view, if you were to put yourself into that person, what does he get out of it? So unfortunately, the sad part is that they are like an empty shell with a facade around it. So if you think of a hot air balloon is the, the analogy I like to use, they have to be pumped up and puffed up all the time or they implode and then explode. So just like a hot air balloon, they need to be adored. They need to be puffed up. They need to be noticed. They need to be 
um, inflated. Uh, somebody with a, a a solid sense of self-esteem just is. And they're typically the most humble person in the room, right? Because they don't have to be the center of attention. They just feel good about mm. themselves. They're fine. Mm. Um, so they they don't have to show off. They're not grandiose. They're mm. not boasting all the time. They're not that person. But a, a narcissist is an empty shell and they puff themselves up and they have to have others puff them up. So the need is to fill up the emptiness, okay? And what's true is that no one can fill that emptiness. Like it's, and it's no one's job. Like if you have an empty sense of self, you've got to go fix that. It's no one else's job to puff that up for you. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole nother journey. But the narcissist believes that everybody else is responsible for puffing them up and they are entitled to be puffed up by everybody else. So it's a very uh, it's a very backwards kind of a thing, but they're basically always sucking the life out of everybody else and sucking the air out of every of the every room, so that they can feed their own empty shell. Wow. But then again, if I if I take that um, as a fact, which I, be, I very much believe the same thing, um, if we now go to more extremes. Is there net then not a kind of a fluent border between a narcissist and a psychopath and a sociopath? Because you're going further and further out there with less and less empathy, less and less um, concerns for society. Um, is that too simplistic, the way I've described that? No, not at all. Um, they call it the... Um, what is it, the dark triangle or something. Mm. So when the narcissistic personality feels this entitlement, feels this emptiness, feels this need, and has to have all the, everybody around them pay attention to mm. them, puff them up. And then if you go sort of the next step, that is, uh, doesn't care about other people's needs to a larger and larger degree. I mean, a narcissist doesn't, but they don't necessarily want to hurt other people. Mm. But when they go into that, I don't care if other people are hurt in the process of me getting my needs met. That's like the next step. That's a sociopath. And then if I like hurting other people, that's the uh, full-blown dark triangle, Machiavellian uh, serial killer. Bloody hell. And that the problem, of course, is you only get a snapshot uh, right here, right now at a relationship. Um, and you don't know in whom this person is developing. And I right. say on purpose, not this man, because it is, uh, whilst there might be a preponderance, maybe, uh, is there actually? Is there, a, is there uh, narcissistic, uh, are men more narcissistic than women? I think it's starting to equalize a bit. And uh, so um, typically men will be more out there and overt in their narcissism. So they will explode when they are not getting their needs met. Whereas women typically are more often covert and implode. But I've seen also women who are narcissistic and they, they implode then explode, but they only ever do that in private. And so the people who are hooked into those relationships are really gaslit 
in terms of feeling like they are just crazy because this person is loved by everybody else mm -hmm. and everybody believes they're the victim and that I'm somehow doing something wrong. Mm. So it's, it's very much a, I think there are more and more nice narcissistic women, but they are typically more covert. Oh, very nicely said. Oh, bloody hell. Um, Shannon, this is <laughs> a, a hornet's nest. Um, when you actually, uh, start, start poking it as is you don't know where this ends. Um, having said that, that is, I think the, the the need for us to be more aware of toxic relationships and their right. impact on your growth, your, it stunts you, it sucks the joy out of you. And that's often something that that we that we sort of think, well, is this life still worthwhile living? I only go to work, then I come home to fight, or I go to work and fight, and then I come home and fight. And mm -hmm. is it really well worthwhile? When was the last time that I had some fun here? Maybe it's not surprising that that mental uh, health problems are on the rise because we are not paying attention to the people that we let in into our lives. Now, sometimes you can't do anything about it. If your boss is an ass, then yeah. Either you can either, well, if you've got the possibility to move and, and to, to get a new job, that's good. But sometimes it's impossible. Um, yeah. So I think there is a skill in learning how to work with difficult relationships that you cannot escape. And then there is, there is the issue of, okay, when is the time to pack your things and run? Right where do you draw lines what would you advise listeners and viewers where do you say okay enough is enough now well absolutely if there's physical violence you absolutely 100% have to get out and stay out um and people say well can't they change and blah 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 but <laughs> i'm a therapist i believe in change i really do but the problem with a narcissist is that typically if they're on that extreme where they're going to act out in violent ways, they're on the extreme by definition. You've just labeled them into that extreme. And so are they going to change really? No, they're really not. I'm sorry to say it bluntly, but mm -hmm. the likelihood of that happening is so slim. I have seen people who are also addicts and alcoholics who did make the change into sobriety and did actually fully change their behaviors in their relationships. So I have to put that out there as a caveat. But if that's your spouse, you need to get away from them or partner, you need to get away from them and let them go do their work. And then you can check in and see how it's going. But you can't be there while they're doing their work because you're going to get hurt. So mm. if there's violence, that's an obvious no. If there's emotional draining, you know, just emotional degradation over and over and over again, and if you do the work to create boundaries and to speak up for yourself, and they're getting worse and worse and worse, mm -hmm. I also think you have to save yourself and get out before you are so bankrupted emotionally that you can't. Mm -hmm. So I see people who are so in despair when they get to my office that they they really should have left sooner, but, mm. um, so you have to kind of recognize, mm. okay, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, and mm. I'm getting 
so depressed. Some people actually get suicidal because life is so terrible mm. living under the the pressure of this person. Mm. Um, and in my in my work, in my in my YouTube channel and in my coaching and masterclass, I really talk about it in terms of, you know, figuring out what happened and then healing and then rebuilding your life because you typically have been so isolated and so torn down for so many months or years mm -hmm. that you have lost yourself entirely. So you don't know what you think. You don't know what you feel. You don't know what you want or need. And you have to start from scratch and rebuild. So mm -hmm. it's a lot yeah. of work and, it, and it's doable. And I wrote a book to help people with that process too. And, you know, if it, I think it's extremely important to to give yourself the time to do that work because what a lot of people do is they get out of one relationship and then they say mm. oh this this one's perfect i'm gonna jump right into this <laughs> one and that's the same person with a different face and name absolutely otherwise say the same person horrible so you have to be really careful about that you've got to do the work in between so out of the clear out of the fog into the clear journaling to help you heal from toxic relationships is, is the book I wrote to try to help people really work through the process um, mm. because it's it's not it's not obvious. Very nice. Shannon, you're an amazing woman. Thank you so much for all that amazing work that you're doing, that you're teaching others, that you're uh, bringing light into the darkness of others. Where can people find you? So my new site is called healfromtoxicrelationships.com slash info if you're on a cell phone and um, jump in there and take a look at the training video um, set up a call with me if you're interested in the master class and the group coaching so um but yeah and also on uh, therapist talks thrive beyond narcissism on youtube and uh, my book is on amazon and kindle and it's out of the fog into the clear journaling to help you heal from toxic relationships beautiful guys look down there into the description of the youtube video and of the podcast all of her links are down there guys what have you got to lose just check her out go there uh, read the book it's well worthwhile i can assure you that more importantly work the book um start uh implementing things in your life and but don't do it all yourself sometimes you don't you can't see what you don't no how shall i say that <laughs> you don't know what you don't know okay right. sometimes you need someone to ask you a specific question and suddenly the lights go on and you think huh and suddenly it becomes blatantly clear what has been occurring all the time along so yes down there shannon's shannon's links are down there don't hesitate shannon you're an amazing woman thank you so much thank you it was a fantastic interview i'm very grateful Thank you, Stephen. It's been a lot of fun to talk with you, and I hope it was helpful to someone. Absolutely. And you guys out there, look after yourself and live a passion. Bye. I never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Turn around.